0: Please keep your your Bibles open there, and let's uh, pray as we come to consider this part of God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, we we do thank you for your Word, and we thank you that you speak to us. We ask that you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts ready to respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, good to be back with you. Uh, It's a great joy to, to gather together with you. And uh, you realise that when you, when you go away, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I was away last week and uh, to come back and it's, it's just great to be together, to sing God's praises, to come before our Father in heaven and pray. Thank you, you six to eight, you know the drill, you're heading out for, a, <laughs> for Bible study. Um, it's a great joy to be, to be back with you. Uh, last Monday I returned from a, a five-day hike in Tasmania uh, with my son James and my brother Tim. Uh, It was the annual catch-up for my brother and I, and it was a post-HSC coming-of-age initiation (laughs) into the Squire Hiking Hall of Fame for James. (laughs) And he performed brilliantly, uh, I'll I'll, uh, like to say. It it was an excellent time. It was a full-on hike, a serious hike. Five days, 75 kilometres, some horrid tracks. Uh, I think the next year it shows uh, big climbs. And some spectacular scenery. It, it, was, uh, it was great. But it was, it was physically challenging. I think I spent most of Tuesday just recovering. Um, unlike James, who just sort of bounced back. Oh, to be young again. Um, one of the things on hikes like this is, is uh, you've, you've got to eat well. It's important to eat well. Uh, you need to have, have the right diet, with plenty, particularly with plenty of energy intake because you're using so much energy. Uh, but because you're also carrying everything that you, that you need, uh, you've got to think about the weight of the food. The, the, the weight of the food is, is a, a factor. Weight is an important issue, as I uh, previously mentioned, talking about my Thermarest Neo Air X Therm sleeping mat. Um, which, by the way, I'm sorry, as I mentioned a few weeks ago for those of not it, it performed brilliantly, even though it's only the second best sleeping mat in the world. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to eat well, and, and everything has to be lightweight. That inevitably means that there are some things in the diet that you miss out on. And by the end of the, the, the hike, I'm, I'm usually craving something in particular. It, it usually has the sort of shape of a big hamburger and hot chips or chicken schnitzel and hot chips or something and hot chips, basically. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the potato and the fat, just the carbohydrate. That's what, I, that's what you crave. But the lightweight hiking diet is not really a sustainable regular diet. It's fine for a few days, but it's not really a full and balanced diet. Now, why am I talking about hiking food? Well, partly because I've returned from a hike and it'd be remiss of me not to to mention and show some some pictures and and tell a story, even if perhaps the relevance is pretty tenuous. But, But it's also because as Christians, we need a full and balanced diet of God's word. Within the Bible, there are different genres, different types of writing. Um, maybe you can just, just think for a moment. What are the different types of, of writing, of genres in the Bible? Call them out. Poetry. Sorry? Poetry. Poetry. Yep. <coughs> History? Genealogies. Genealogies. Yep, they're often, yep. Yeah. Prophecy. Prophecy, yep. Birth of the church. Sorry? Birth of the church. Birth of the church, yes, yeah, so the gospels. The letters. The letters. Yep, Salvation. apocalyptic. apocalyptic. <laughs> yep, that's it. Right. Salvation. Salvation. That yeah, that runs through different genres. Is here's a picture on the screen that shows the uh, the main genres of the law, which is where we do get uh, genealogy. The first five books of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. History books, the wisdom and poetry, uh, the writings, uh, the prophecy. Gospels, letters. So there's different genres of the Bible and a great diversity between the different parts. And, and we need each part. Sometimes it can be tempting, I think, to kind of snack on the, the bits that are familiar, that are, that are easy to digest, and just to neglect the parts that seem strange, that, that perhaps seem less appealing. But to do that is actually is to make a, a grave mistake. And Lord Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. But, as the full quote from Deuteronomy 8 3 continues, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We need the full diet of God's word. Just go to the next, um, next slide there. Actually, we'll get there. That. That's all right. Um, what happens when we, we, uh, when we neglect part of God's word is we actually, our knowledge of God, our knowledge of ourselves, our knowledge of the world becomes deficient, becomes distorted. And we actually become malnourished Christians. And so for this reason, uh, in order to keep a balanced diet of God's word, uh, early in the year we worked through a gospel, we looked at Luke, uh, we worked through a letter, we looked at Philippians, we worked, had a topical doctrine series on the Reformation, then we looked at the wisdom writings of Ecclesiastes. Today we're starting a new preaching series in one of the prophets, Micah. Now you may not know much about Micah, um, I didn't before this past week, and I suspect that actually the prophets are, in general, a part of the Bible that, uh, that we, may, we may tend to neglect. They're, you know, they're sort of trickier and unfamiliar and harder to digest bits. But, friends, we need to hear the message of Micah. We need to hear what he teaches, as I hope you'll see, in order that, that we do, so that we don't have a deficient and a, a distorted understanding of god and ourselves and our world so micah now if you haven't got micah up in front of you here's a tip for finding micah or you can remember this for next week if you're one of those little books that you you, where where is it uh there are 12 I, i heard this there's 12 minor prophets uh the first five minor prophets have an o in their name and the last seven don't micah is the first one with an o sorry without an o First one after the ones with, with a no. Does that make sense? It shows it on the screen. There you are. There's a way of finding Micah. Or you could just look up the contents page. Um, and then stick, a, stick a, a bookmark in it because we'll be working through it in the coming weeks. So it would be handy to have that, um, that there. All right. What do we know about Micah? Well, the first, uh, first verse tells us quite a bit. Uh, so firstly, he was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Micah. Prophets spoke the word of the Lord that's significant what Micah says is from god secondly he was from morasheth which uh, was a town in the in the country region of, of judah uh, southwest of jerusalem you see there on the map uh, morasheth thirdly he lived uh, and ministered during the reigns of three kings of judah the the, the kings jotham ahaz and hezekiah now, from that, we can we can date when he when he was around. Uh, he was around between the period of around seven forty BC through to six eighty seven BC. And um, <coughs> me, what he wrote was a uh, was a vision that he saw. It says concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, these these two cities. Now, at this point, I, I think it's probably helpful to uh, to give you a bit of an overview of the history, uh, the places that are talked about here. And if I just lost you at the mention of the word history or uh, names like Morriseth and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, come back, come back. This is this is important. This is uh, really helpful to get a, an overview of where we are in uh, in God's word. It, it, this might sort of seem like feel like the wholemeal, multigrain kind of version. It's a bit, a bit hard going, but it is good for you. So here's an overview. Overview of the Old Testament. So from, from creation, Genesis, through to uh, Abraham, God God chose Abraham. From Abraham came Isaac and Jacob, and eventually from him the 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, Israel, same, same thing. God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, gave them the Ten Commandments, and uh, brought them into the promised land of Canaan. After a time of the judges, God gave them a king, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And this really was the high point of the, um, of the nation of Israel. Just one more press there. Uh, th- things were going well. But after Solomon, the kingdom was split in two. Thanks, Jen. That's fabulous. And the kingdom was split into two, into the northern tribes. Uh, the northern tribes, they rebelled against the two southern tribes. So the northern tribes were, were continued to be called Israel and the southern tribes were called Judah. The capital of the northern tribes was Samaria, and the capital of the southern was Jerusalem. Just next, uh, next press there. There's Samaria in the north and Jerusalem, one more, in the south. So that kind of orients us. So we're dealing with the, the divided kingdom of Israel, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, Samaria, the capital in the north, Jerusalem, the capital in the south. And so Micah, this prophet from the south, from Judah, he records his vision concerning these two cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. And he starts, he starts with a call to hear. Look at verse 2. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. God is addressing all people everywhere. Uh, This is, yeah, it's concerning Samaria, Jerusalem, these two cities, but this is a message for all people. And the message is simply God is coming in judgment. Verse 3, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. This is this picture of God, God coming down, the Lord God The all-powerful, the sovereign God who reigns over and above all is coming down to tread on the heights of the earth. And it brings us this picture of cataclysmic judgment. Verse 4, the mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. This is big. This is devastating. Creation's crumbling. It's melting before the Lord who comes in judgment. Why is this judgment coming? Verse five explains all this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? Said so before, Jacob, Israel, same names are interchangeable. Says they have sinned, they have transgressed. What is that sin? What is that transgression? Well, Micah answers simply. God answers through Micah. Is it not? Samaria. I mean, look at Samaria, the nation's capital. they exemplified, they represented everything wrong with the nation. Now, just to kind of unpack and tease it out a bit, say, so what, what, what did they do wrong? That reading we had from Two Kings seventeen explains explains what they what they did wrong. Uh, the books of one and two kings it traces through the, all the kings of Judah and, and Israel from. Um, Uh, From the time of Solomon onwards, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, there's more downs than than ups. But then in chapter 17 of 2 Kings, it gives this this kind of overarching summary. Here's what happened. Here's what went wrong. Here's the transgression of Israel. Let me read uh, some of it again. It says, All this took place. Because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From Watchtower, to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns they set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statues he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger." This is what Samaria represented. They wanted to be like the nations around them, and so they didn't obey the Lord their God. They didn't obey his word, and they ended up doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so God says he's coming in judgment. Now, at this point, um, as as Micah, this prophet from, from Judah, the prophet from the south, as he Pronounces the impending doom of of those evil, rebellious northern Israelites. The people of Judah, they might have been feeling a bit smug. Oh, good. But boy, do those rotten northern Samaria types deserve to cop it, they might be thinking. But their smugness would have been short-lived because the very next thing Micah says is basically, Jerusalem, you're the same. See verse 5? What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? The two there in parallel, north, south, Jacob, Judah, Samaria, Jerusalem, transgression, high place. Now what's with these high places? Well, I quite like high places. Um, (laughs) Last week I hiked to the top of a of some of Tasmania's highest places. There's Mount Anne, 1,424 metres. This is just a gratuitous opportunity to show some more pictures, you realise. Um, Frenchman's Cap, 1,445 metres. I like hiking to the top of high places. For me, it's, it's a challenge, it's, a, it's the, the, the achievement, it's the view, it's the sense of being up above it all. For Israel and Judah, though, and for the nations around them, well, high places, what they, what they were was uh, they represented a couple of things. Firstly, they represented a strategic military position. It's hard to defeat if you're, you know, if you're up high. It's hard to, to penetrate. Secondly, they represented the, the ruling class, the, the high and, mi- and mighty ones. And thirdly, as we saw in that reading, they were places of pagan worship to other gods. The, the high places were an expression of, of rebellion against God. And so Micah says, what is Judah's expression of arrogant, man-centered, idolatrous worship? What is Judah's high place? It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem has gone the same way as Samaria. In fact, he says, just jump down to verse 9, he says that Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Now, to us, uh, this may seem kind of worlds away, you know, this people sacrificing sons and daughters and, on high places and worshipping false gods and things. But actually, I think we face a very similar danger today. See, we, I think we can act like Jerusalem. We can think, well, you know, we're on the right path, unlike those godless people around us, those Samaria types. But are we, in fact, just drifting along, following the ways of the world around us? In our case, it doesn't involve pagan sacrifices to various gods on hilltops. That was, that was the norm of the world around Israel and Judah in Micah's day. That's what everyone else was doing. But maybe for us, are we just kind of blending in with the world around us? In terms of our values, in terms of our priorities, our ambitions, our relationships. Those of us who have kids... If your son or daughter one day came and said to you that, that they wanted to train for full-time Christian ministry or, or they wanted to become a, a missionary to, to serve God overseas somewhere, would you rejoice and wholeheartedly support them and think that's fantastic? Or would you secretly or maybe not so secretly be kind of disappointed and think very much like the world around us? They're mad. They're wasting their life. They're they're missing out on on wealth and security and comfort and success. What would that say about our heart, our response at that point? Our priorities, our ambition? Or or consider a a hypothetical scenario. Imagine that that it suddenly became illegal in Australia to be a committed follower of Jesus. And uh, unbeknown to you, you were identified as a in suspicion of being such a person, they, uh, they hacked into our church database and saw your name written there and, and they investigated your life, examined it for a week. Would there be sufficient evidence to prove that you're guilty of being a committed follower of Jesus? Or would the verdict be not normal, law-abiding, non-Jesus-following Australian? That is, has the plague... Of secular Western materialism spread to reach the very gates of our homes, our hearts, our habits, our hobbies, our plans, our priorities, our pleasures. Are we in Jerusalem living just like those in Samaria? Friends, let's be radically different, radically different from the world around us in terms of our hopes, in terms of our ambitions even our our prayers for our children. And let's fuel that heart, that that desires to trust and obey and follow and serve God above all else. Jerusalem had gone the way of Samaria. And Micah spoke this word of of warning, this word of judgment. God will come to judge. Firstly, he's going to judge Samaria. Look at verse 6. He says, therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, A place for planting vineyards. I'll pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Samaria will be destroyed. And indeed it was. God fulfilled this promise through Assyria's enemy, uh, in 722 BC, the king of Assyria, Sennacher- oh, sorry, no, Shel- uh besieged Samaria and, he- and captured it. And he destroyed Samaria. He deported all of the people, the Israelites took them off to Assyria. They never returned. It was the end of the northern tribes. 722 BC. And Micah says, well, Jerusalem is heading in the same direction. And indeed, in 701 BC, the Assyrian kings and at that point, he came and he attacked and he conquered all the cities throughout Judah and then surrounded and besieged Jerusalem. And the king of Judah, he repented and he called out to God for salvation because Samaria's plague had both the sin and the judgment had spread to Judah and it had reached the very gates of Jerusalem, literally, But Hezekiah repented and God spared them for a time. You can read about it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. God uh, put to death 185,000 Assyrians in a night and Zennacherib the king withdrew. Judah was spared for a time until about 120 years later when Jerusalem finally fell to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 586 BC. And you can read about that in 2 Kings 25. So God brought judgment on his people. And in the face of that coming judgment that Micah Micah writes about, Micah weeps and he wails. Look at verse 8. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. I'll spare you an impersonation, but just imagine it's, it's a desperate expression of grief and mourning. I mean, there's, there's nothing circumspect or measured about this. It's just all out, abandoned, naked, wailing and howling like a jackal. The coming judgment is awful. Micah knows that and, and he responds appropriately. And he calls on these people to do the same. Verses 10 through 15, each of those strange names which Liz read so marvellously, they're all places in Judah that uh, that Zennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and he conquered them. And Micah calls on them. He says to verse 10, roll in the dust. Or verse 11, pass by naked and in shame. Don't come out, mourn. Verse 12, writhe in pain, waiting for relief. Verse 13, harness fast horses to the chariot and attempt to escape. Verse 16, he says, shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Sin matters. Judgment is coming. So weep. Mourn. As Jesus did when Jesus approached Jerusalem. He saw their rejection of God and Luke records in Luke 19.41 that he wept over Jerusalem. He saw reality. He saw people's sin and the coming judgment and he wept. We should do the same. Because friends, this is, this is reality. All of us, all humanity, we are all by nature sinful. We are broken. We are rebellious people. We have the same Samaria plague. It's reality. It's a reality that, that people often want to minimise or, or deny. People usually don't want to hear it. They, don't, don't say that. That's negative. That's, that's pessimistic. Give me something a bit more upbeat. Something. You know, don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm culpable before a sovereign God. You know, it's much more palatable to just deny God's reality or to suppress any idea that there's a... There's a sovereign God to whom we must give an account. Remove him from the picture. Or just redefine him. And if you can remove him or redefine him, then you remove sin or redefine sin. The problem with that is that God is not some kind of abstract idea for us to remove or redefine according to our will, God is. He is the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign ruler, the judge over the world, including us. That's the truth. That's reality which has been plainly revealed to us through his word, the Bible, and most perfectly through his son, the Lord Jesus. That's the plain truth. People try to suppress this truth. They try to exchange the truth for a lie. A lie that says God doesn't exist or God doesn't care if I disregard him or disobey or dishonor him. Romans chapter 1 says that's exactly what rebellious humanity does. But that just increases our culpability. The reality is that left to ourselves, we are sinful rebels before a just and holy God. And that's a problem. And because of that, as Micah says to Judah, judgment is coming. So how should we respond? Well, firstly, as, as Micah does, we should weep and mourn over sin and the coming judgment. Now, friends, this, this challenges me. How often do I live effectively in denial of the coming judgment of God? Micah reminds me that sin matters, that judgment is coming, and this ought to move me to pray earnestly for people that they be saved from that judgment. It ought to move me to, to do all I can, to warn them, to urge them to repent and to be saved. See, understanding the seriousness of sin and the reality of judgment, that should move us to action. But secondly, and lastly, in terms of our response, we actually need to see that there's a glimmer of hope in amongst the judgment of chapter 1, there, there is a glimmer of hope. It might have been hard to, hard to spot. It's all pretty, pretty heavy, isn't it? But the way forward is actually hinted at here in chapter 1. It, it, it'll come more fully in the end of chapter 2. We'll see next week. But it's hinted at in chapter 1 in the, in the very first word of Micah's prophecy. Verse 2. Hear. Listen. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it. So that was the mistake that Samaria and Jerusalem had made. They didn't hear. They didn't listen. They didn't listen to the Lord their God. Because hearing and listening, that's actually the pathway to salvation from judgment. All of us who hear the word of the Lord Jesus and put our trust in him and follow him will be saved from judgment. Jesus himself bears the judgment of God against our sin. He bears that in our place. Jesus said in in John 5.24, I'm sorry it's not on the screen, but John 5.24, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Friends, Jesus came to save us from the judgment that we deserve. And he calls on us to to hear, to hear his word, to trust him, to not just be like the world and the culture around us, but to repent and to trust the Saviour, the one who had no sin, who became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, we need God's word to us in Micah. We need it. We need to understand the depths of the seriousness of sin and the horror of judgment that it brings. We need that in order to appreciate the wonder of salvation that is ours in Jesus. And we need it in order to hear the warning, the warning to not follow the ways of the world around us, but to hear and listen to the word of God and to obey Let me pray for us and ask God to help us to do just that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, for all of it. We thank you that it tells us not necessarily the things that we want to hear, but the things that we need to hear. Father, thank you for this clear word that sin matters, that judgment is coming. Help us to comprehend the reality of that truth, to not suppress it or ignore it or redefine it, but to see that that we and all people are sinful, that you are holy and that judgment is rightly coming. Father, please move us to weep and mourn as Micah did. But more than that, Father, please move us to, to repent and to continue to repent, to hear and listen to your son Jesus to trust him for salvation from judgment. Father, move us to live lives that seek to follow him first and foremost, to not just be like the world around us, but to hold on out the hope of salvation to the world around us, so that others may also find refuge from your judgment in the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.